So, Lord, we ask you, teach us to pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, it's a little bit cool, but we thank you for the brightness of this new day. We ask that the light of your face may shine upon each one of us. That your light may shine within each of us. And that like Moses and Jesus on the mountain, we may be radiant with the light that you shine. Teach us to pray in spirit and in truth and free us from everything that is unnecessary and keep alive within us only what is essential in our journey towards you. Amen. Now, um, I was asked a question yesterday, and I want to go back to it. Um, and it's to do with the prodigal son. And the question is regarding the elder brother, the elder son. When the father called for the celebration, why did he not invite the older son? Why did it take so long for the older son to find out about the party? And so it was a question that I'd never ever thought about myself. And it shows you, you can be reading the scripture and think you know it. And then something emerges that makes you think again. So it is a real question. And I prayed on this now a good bit over yesterday and reflected, and I don't know that my answer is correct. I'm only giving to you what has come out of my reflection. The first thing that struck me was the urgency of the moment for the father. When the, other, when the young son came back, there was an urgency about receiving him. Because for the father, the young son was as good as dead, and he was lost. And so there is an excitement in the father in the coming home of the young son. An excitement that overtakes everything else. Uh, that, that, and one of the things that's very interesting for me that, that I've always noticed, and this I find very interesting, in the light of confession, when the son comes home with his, his confession prepared, the father interrupts him immediately. 
And it has often struck me in the context of the Sacrament of Reconciliation, uh, we, we were taught that when you come to confession, uh, you know, you have to tell in detail all of your sins, uh, the, the nature of them, the number of times that you committed them, and all of that. Now, I know with some of my sins that I commit them so often that I can't keep up with them, and I can't count the number. But I, I do, there is a legal thing that says this, that you're supposed to say the number and the nature of your sins. But when I read the, the, this gospel of the prodigal son, that as soon as the son starts to say what he has prepared, the father interrupts him. Because the excitement of the father is so great, the delight of the father is so great, that the only thing that matters is that the one who is lost is home. And that's central to all of this. The one who is lost has come back. And that is of absolute importance uh, in the whole thing. Uh, there is an urgency in the father. That, you know the son comes back wanting to be a servant. But there is an urgency in the father to restore him to sonship. To lift him back up to his dignity as a son. And that is what all of the clothes mean. You know, he's not just dressing him, but the dressing is, it's like the, the cloak of, of Joseph that we had yesterday, the, 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 the beautiful coat. It is, it is being dressed in the dignity of one's status as a son and as one who is loved, because the son had lost all of that sense of being loved. He had lost all of his dignity as a human being and as a son. And so it was urgent for the father to dress his son and restore him completely. One of the significant things in the dressing of the son is he tells the servants to put sandals on his feet. Now the significance of that is not just that he would have his feet covered or have footwear. The symbol of the sandals is that the father is giving the son the freedom to leave immediately again, if he so chooses. That's the significance of the sandals. And so my sense is that in case the son would make that choice, the father is in a hurry to celebrate. And, and you know, we, that's very important for us all to realize, that when we come home to the father, he is also giving us the freedom to go again. He is not imprisoning any of us in his love and in his mercy. Uh, that, that's very, very important. Um, I was doing a wedding one time and I opened my homily with the lines of a song from Sting uh, back in the 90s now. But the words were, if you love somebody, set them free. And that's exactly what the father is doing for the son. Because he loves him, he is setting him free, not just to stay, but to leave. And very often, our own experience of loving is that we try to possess the one that we love. And we try to hold the one that we love so that they won't leave us. But the truest of love has the courage to set the other person free. And that's the kind of love that the father has for the son. But there, like, the thing of the sandals is very significant. 
that, that there is the freedom to go. I myself shall pasture my sheep. I myself shall give them rest, declares the Lord. I shall look for the lost one, bring back the stray, bandage the injured, and make the sick strong. I will watch over the fat and the healthy. I shall be a true shepherd to them. Now, in God, the shepherding is for everybody. The fact that he is going for the lost one and the injured and the damaged does not mean that he's neglecting the fat and the healthy. But that's what happens to us when we, when we see God going after the lost one and doing what he does so urgently for the lost one. We feel, it's like our back gets up or we feel miffed by it. We think, and we, you know, we, we feel somehow that it's a slight on us. And when God goes to look for the lost one. But, and so that's why it is so, so important for us in our meditation on the scriptures to learn what is the heart of the Father. What is it that God is feeling for the fat and the healthy, for those who are safe? And what is it that the Father feels for the one who is lost? You know, we really need to get into that not just to kind of learn it in our heads, but that in our hearts we immerse ourselves in the reality of who the Father is. What is the heart of the Father? And there's one beautiful, there's one beautiful phrase that comes in, in the, the parable of the prodigal son. And the, the, the Father says, he talks about the Father getting him back safe, and sound. And I love those words, that that is the desire of the father, that his child is safe and sound. And so the hope is when we are living our faith and living our relationship with God, that we should know how safe and sound we are. But often we live our faith as though we are not safe and not sound. And it does call us to start exercising more and more our trust in the reality of who God is and not in who we imagine God to be. And that is one of our great failings in the living of the Christian life. We imagine who God must be or we imagine how God should be. But what we're called to is to experience God who is. And that's how God reveals himself uh, to Moses at the burning bush. I am who am. I am who I am. So if he is who he is, then the worshipping of him is to worship the true and living God as he has revealed himself. So, and that's a big purification that we all need. You know, we, are, we, we, often, we often confess the surface of our sins. I've had this strong sense lately um, 
when I was doing the, the confessions at the, the mind-body spiriting uh, last week, I felt like I was a, I felt like I was a little tree and that I was preoccupied with the tree over ground, but that somehow God was saying to me, pay attention to the roots underground and then the tree over ground will be fine. But very often what we're doing is we're looking after the tree over the ground and not doing enough for the roots. So we are called to a depth of living and it's not a complicated depth, but we are called to it. You know, and, and baptism, I suppose, is that we are immersed in the waters of God's life. And then every day is a call to be immersed. You know, if you listen to uh, the diary of St. Faustina about being immersed in the ocean of God's mercy, truly immersed in that. There's a, a moment in the, in the Mass that I love, and it's at the, the, the offertory when the priest pours the drop of water into the chalice by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ. And when I drop that water into the wine, I know that this is a complete immersion. The water is totally absorbed in what will become the blood of Jesus. And that's who we are. You know, that's who we are. And again, the other problem maybe in our lives is that we don't know who we are. I don't know who I am. <clears throat> I don't know my dignity as a son created in the image and likeness of God. The elder brother doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he's got. And that's, that's part of, of the problem that's going on there. So, but anyway, the, the urgency that's in God's heart. The other thing that I want to say about God's heart, Pope John Paul uh, speaks beautifully about the fatherhood of God um, for Jesus. He's, he's, he's leading people into praying the Our Father. And he's, he's saying that for Jesus, God is not simply the Father, the Father of Israel, the father of all people. But for Jesus, God is my father. There's a strong personal relationship there. Jesus is my father. And like I think the little girl saying to me, Amen, will you be my daddy? My heart comes to God and says, God, will you be my father. I don't ask him to be. I know he is my father. Uh, and I thank God that I know it. But that's what we're called to feel. The fatherhood, the daddyhood of God. But John Paul goes on to say that in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, and even in, in the New Testament in Jesus, the fatherhood of God is often expressed in terms of motherhood. So that, that the two are in God. 
that perfect fatherhood and perfect motherhood are, are in God. And John Paul talks about the text that we're very familiar with, um, where, where the people were feeling abandoned by God and feeling that their life is futile. And the, the God comes back with, does a mother forget the child of her womb or fail to cherish the child at her breast? Yet even if these forget, I will never forget you. And Isaiah also talks about, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And so, you know, to know who God is, really, that, that's so important. To know the heart of God and to be immersed in it and to be held in it. And then to know who I am within that reality. I am God's child. I am the son that he loves. You are the daughter that he loves. And, and that's, that's a huge piece, and I, I would talk about that uh, quite a lot. But the elder son represents the Pharisees, because that's where the, the, the gospel begins. They're complaining about the sinners being with Jesus. So the elder son represents the Pharisees who stand on the outside. They put themselves on the outside of what Jesus is about. <clears throat> They're on the outside looking in, and it's a detached experience. Uh, so that, that because it's, it's on the outside looking in, there is no experience. You know, it's like he's, he's outside the window while we're in here. Uh, he might see what's going on, but he doesn't experience what's going on. Uh, and in, in that, he has made a choice to separate himself from what God is actually doing, from what the Father is actually about. Uh, so, and that the other thing that I sense is significant is that the passage says that he was out in the fields. And he was clearly a good distance out in the fields because the party was going on quite a while before he came back. And so he, he puts that distance, even though he's doing his work, he still puts a distance between himself and the Father. And it's a significant distance that he has put between him and the Father. And what I, what I notice in, in my life as a priest and in ministry, how easy it is, for let's say for us as a priest, to get so occupied with the work that we're doing that we actually separate ourselves from the Father. That the, the work becomes so much our preoccupation that we create a distance between us and the Father. And I've seen it in my own life in periods when it is difficult, difficult to pray and so I fill that gap with activity rather than with emptiness, uh, the emptiness that can be filled with promise. So uh, he is creating a distance between himself and the Father. I would say also in relation to all of us in prayer, it strikes me when we listen to the teaching of Jesus in prayer that uh, when, when you pray you do not have to babble like the pagans do. They think that by using many words, they will make themselves heard. And he says, this is not to happen with you. 
And yet, if we're to look at our lives, isn't it what has happened a lot of the time? That when we come to pray, instead of being silent before the Lord, we, we rush in with an awful lot of words. And I sometimes think that we use prayer as a way of keeping a distance between God and ourselves. It's kind of an acceptable way of keeping a distance because we feel we're doing the right and the good thing. But in fact, it can be a separation. It's like I talk so much in prayer that I make sure God doesn't get a look in edgeways. And I keep him out there in case he will overwhelm me. You know, we, we, I often think when we sing uh, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, melt me, mould me, fill me, use me. But I actually don't want to be melted. And I don't want to be shaped into something that I haven't chosen to be. But unless I am melted and moulded and shaped, then I am only half what I am meant to be. So, you know, to be careful with that in your prayer, for all of us to be careful with that in our prayer, that we leave sufficient space for silence so that God can get a look in to our lives. And again, it's part of our freedom. It's part of having our sandals on us, that we are free to go and keep a distance. But what we choose to do has its consequences. You know, it, it, does, it does have its consequences. Uh, and so, you know, distance is an interesting thing to watch, to look at. And I find that when I look at this older son, the distance that he has created between his father and himself. I remember one time, I, was going, I went through many years of conflict with my mother. And most people don't believe me when I say this, but I did. I had very serious conflict with my mother. And um, I remember one time, it was in the time when we used to write letters, an extraordinary way we said things to each other in letters even, not just face to face in the heat of the moment. But I remember she, I had said something to her in one letter that drove her mad. And then she wrote back to me and she said, what? she said, it's not, I was living in Rome, and she said, it's not the miles that are separating us. It's something else. There was a distance between us that even if we were sitting side by side, we were separated by our conflict. And that's, it, it, I had forgotten that memory, but when I started thinking about this question, that has surfaced in me. And I believe the Lord has made it surface for a purpose. Now, like anyone who knows me knows that I had wonderful uh, reconciliation with my mother and perfect ending. But it's interesting when memories stir. They stir for a reason. So that's a piece for me. So... Um, the other thing that I would say about in, in, in a separation as well with the elder brother, that he left himself unavailable for the invitation. He wasn't available to be invited. And, and what, what, what strikes me as well is 
When he comes back and he discovers what's going on, it's all about himself. He is utterly self-absorbed and self-centered. And therefore, he is jealous. And he doesn't see, like, if my brother were lost, like, my brother nearly died once in an accident that we were both in, uh, and it happened out in Tanzania. And when he spoke for the first time after having been in a coma for three days, the delight that was in me was huge. And that's what a brother should have for a brother. That if the brother, <clears throat> and we're talking about, they felt and they understood that this boy was dead, not just lost, but that he was dead. And so if the elder brother had understood anything, he would have been delighted, first of all, that his brother was back. But he didn't have that in him because he had separated himself from the heart of the father. And, and, and that, is, that is very, very significant. So, and, and, you know, the beautiful words that the father says to him, and these are words that he says to us in our fidelity. My son, you are with me always, and all that I have is yours. And we don't know it because we, we live as though we don't have it. And God is saying to us, and Paul has that in one of his hymns uh, in the New Testament, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all of the riches of heaven in Jesus. Not just some of them, but all of them that everything that God <clears throat> possesses is ours. And he is utterly generous with us. But we will not experience the generosity if we are separated away, you know, we, because we can't. We, we, and, you know, that actually, when I think of it, is what hell is. That separation between the soul and the heart of the Father. That is it, the, 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 the not knowing, not knowing that, that, that I am so loved, that I am treated so generously. And so that, these are my answers, uh, and it's, it's kind of a long-winded answer to the question that was asked. But that's what it has stirred in me, and I, I do think it's important that we address those questions. And, and I, wouldn't, I think maybe it would be good during the time of Lent, because it's one of the great Lenten Gospels, uh, would be to ponder what is happening. What do you feel is happening in this passage of the, 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 the prodigal son, the, the, the merciful, loving father, and the lost elder son, and see what God is saying to you in that. I do think it needs to be said time and time again how absolutely significant each one of us is in the eyes of God. And there's a beautiful phrase <clears throat> that one of the fathers of the church says, and it connects with, with the 
call of Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This father says that long before the world was ever made, God was already loving you. So I have to say that to myself, because I went through a period when I actually hated my life and hated myself, and I regretted having been born. And when I heard Psalm 139 say, I thank you for the wonder of my being, there was no way I was thanking God for the wonder of my being. And I've had to learn in my life the truth that from all eternity, God has loved me. He has spoken my name. He has desired me. He has given me to life for a purpose. And nobody can make us know that but ourselves. I have to take the truth of that into myself. And you know, it's absolutely massive. <clears throat> the, the extent of God's creation, I'm not going to go into a long thing on this because I could go on forever. <clears throat> I go into orbit when I start thinking of the universe. <clears throat> Um, but there is, there is this thing, and a good many years ago I was watching a, a space program, a, a science space program uh, on Channel 4, and they talk about <clears throat> how everything came into being. Now, they're not doing it from a spiritual point of view, but there's, there's the, the thing that happened, the Big Bang or whatever. And I have no problem with the Big Bang, because I think it's God's Big Bang. Uh, but they talk about 14.5 billion years ago since the world began. And this father of the church is telling us that long before 14.5 billion years ago, God was already loving you. Now that's huge. It is absolutely huge. And I thank God that I know it. And I don't boast about it because I've had to learn it in a very hard way. But I would say to everybody, would you ever get it into your head a little bit that this is the truth and that you are absolutely wonderful in the sight of God. And you who are mothers or fathers, you know how you love your child. And it is, it is the, the, the greatest of love. Uh, I know it kind of sort of a little bit separated, but I, I have a fatherly feeling that God has given to me as well that's very precious. But I see, I see my sister Rose, let's say, when her boy Peter was a little lad, and she sees him running towards the car from school, and she does this, and she says, oh my God, how much I love that child. And if she is saying that, God is saying it infinitely, infinitely more about you. And it's not about, we, we have done this thing, and the church is discussing this now uh, in relation to Holy Communion. We have a deeply ingrained sense that I earn God's love. That if I perform well enough, I will be loved. And that is not how it is. 
and there is the question that's coming in relation to Holy Communion. There is a feeling that, and people will be scandalized by this, but there is a feeling that unless you have got it together, you don't deserve to receive Holy Communion. And that's, that's really deep in all of us. Whereas the first thing is that God loved you first and loves you all of the time. And no matter what you do or what you become, he will love you. And I have to say, when I look at my mother, uh, and there were times when some of our lives were going off the rails in, in our family. You know, some of us, it happened. Uh, and it was in those times that she came into her own as mother, because it was necessary. And, and so that's, you know, I could keep saying it, but that's the truth. And so if you, we'll pray during the Mass now, and it'll be a prayer for healing. I'm not going to preach anymore, so that's, this is it, this is the end of it. I will lead you, I will lead us through a prayer that begins in infinity, where we are in God's eternity. And we'll just bring us through that into conception, the womb, birth, life. And we'll just pray through all of life's experience without going at things too much, but just opening up life to that uh, beautiful grace of God that flows. And, and please God, by it then, we will be healed in some way and set free to know, to go home and say, I am loved and I am lovable. 